are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. A good Tuesday, excuse me, Wednesday show for you. My gosh, I'm losing track of the days of the week already. We are going to talk a little college football. Jim Harbaugh gets suspended for the first three games of the season. Yeah, I'm sure they're really going to miss him. The Ravens, in probably the greatest preseason game ever played on Monday night, didn't even talk about it yesterday. We're going to get to talking about that Ravens-Commanders game. Stephen A. Smith in a Twitter beef with Stephon Diggs. Jonathan Taylor is now being given a chance to get himself traded. They are now allowing him to search for a trade. However, the the hypocrisy of the Colts is kind of funny. And more talk about the NFC East as we head into the NFL season starting off two weeks from tomorrow. And we'll get to all that momentarily. So starting in college football, as we know, seven games this weekend in college football, week zero. I've already given you my three-team, ten-point tease, lock of the century. Okay, maybe it's not the lock of the century, but I told you I want you to tease the USC Trojans down from 30 to 20 against San Jose State. I want you to tease Notre Dame down from 20 to 10. And I want you to tease the total in Ohio, San Diego State, up to 59 and take the under. So that's my three-team 10-point tease. Do with it what you want. It's for recreational purposes only. Let's just leave it at that so nobody can claim I did something illegal. But gambling is legal in 38 of the 50 states, so what the hell. Anyway, so let's talk a little college football. Jim Harbaugh got in a little trouble for stuff that he did overcoded, impermissible trips or visits or contact with recruits, something like that. And so there was a report going around that he was going to get the first four games suspended, and now it's official that he gets the first three games suspended of Michigan's season. And boy, man, they are going to miss him on these. Do you know Michigan's first three games of the season? All at home against East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. (laughs) And not only that, if you actually read the story about Harbaugh getting suspended, he actually gets zero time off during the week. He can coach the team all through the week, do everything he would as a coach. He just can't stand on the sidelines during the three, three-and-a-half-hour game on the next three Saturdays, starting next Saturday, against the Pirates out of East Carolina – the running Rebs out of UNLV, and the Bowling Green, what are they, the Falcons? Bowling Green Falcons, right? I need to look that up. Damn, I'm good. Yep, it's the Falcons. Anyway, it would have made a little more, you could have been like, well, maybe it's going to be tough not having your coach around for the first three weeks of the season. No, he's there for everything except game day. So is this really that big of a deal? Of course they suspended him for the games that absolutely do not matter. Oh, yeah, and by the way, their fourth game is against Rutgers. If he would have been suspended a fourth game, home against Rutgers, probably going to be five touchdown favorites. So they're already 30, 35-point favorites against East Carolina next Saturday. I'm sure UNLV is going to be around, depending on how the game goes. I mean, if they beat East Carolina by 40 or 45, it's probably going to be the same. The Week 2 will probably be... 33 to 35 points against UNLV, Bowling Green, same. I mean, talk about an absolute cupcake schedule. 
at least in the non-conference. I, th- I believe, if I read correctly, I believe they have the easiest non-conference schedule in all of college football. Now, I yes, I am aware that they did have a non-conference game with somebody that had to be uh, – that was canceled. So that's why they have three patsies on it. But come on now. East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green. I think you might not get double-digit wins out of those three teams combined this year. (laughs) So there's that. Jim Harbaugh's brother, John Harbaugh, is the coach of the Baltimore Ravens. And we've talked about it for the last couple weeks, and the fact is the Baltimore Ravens, going into this past Monday night's football game, had won 24 consecutive preseason games. Nobody really knows what that means, but I think once it got to a certain point, they were trying to win every game. But it's not like they were trying by leaving starters in. They had a 24-game winning streak, and literally on Monday night, they didn't play one starter the whole game. Offense or defense? They were literally at second and third stringers from the get-go, and the commanders played their starters on offense the whole first half. So it just shows you Baltimore, I guess, just has a good structure, a good system. And I do think they take the games more seriously once they got to a certain point of, wow, we keep winning every game. We haven't lost a preseason game since 2015. And if you watched the end of the game on Monday, it was crazy. It was like watching a playoff game. Granted, we didn't know any of the people that were playing for the most part. But did you see what happened? So Baltimore's up 28-20 with about four minutes left in the game. And the Redskins score. I keep saying the Redskins, sorry. The commanders score, go for two to try and tie it up, and they throw a pass out in the flat, and the running back looks like he's just going to waltz into the end zone, and here comes a DB flying out of nowhere and tackles him at the one-yard line. Everyone on the Baltimore sideline is fired up, but there's still four minutes left in the game. So the commanders kick off, Ravens get it, they cannot get a first down, so they have to punt, and Washington takes over on their own, like somewhere between the 10 and 15-yard line, with about a minute and a half left and three timeouts. So all they need to do is get in field goal range. And they tried, obviously. They got to a fourth and 11, and they threw an incomplete pass, but the DB for the Ravens absolutely hooked one of the receivers, so they called pass interference. The game stayed alive. But what the Ravens were doing was basically just playing 10 yards off all the Redskins – saying Redskins, gosh, commanders, receivers. And the commanders were just throwing slants the whole time down the field. And then once it got to a close where it were the commanders were right around midfield and were getting down into the 30, 45-second range, and they had used, I believe, one timeout at that point, so they still had two left, the Ravens just said, fuck it. We're going into press coverage, and we're putting 11 guys at the line of scrimmage, and we're going to blitz. And you're going to have to beat one of our DBs. And that's exactly what happened. And for three straight downs, Washington just threw a bomb and was not successful. And there was no PI called. And then like right around, I think they were on the 45 yard line or so. Right. Um, Around the 45 of Baltimore. And the Ravens went into press coverage, 11 men at the line of scrimmage. Everyone's coming. They're throwing the house at them, 
And Washington, instead of throwing deep and basically a very low percentage pass, they just decided to try and get a first down. And they did right around the uh, 32-yard line or something like that. It was right around the 32. They get out of bounds, and with 10 seconds left, a 49-yard field goal to go up 29-28. They hit it. They're excited. And 10 seconds left on the clock, Baltimore threw an interception on their first play after the kickoff, and that was what she wrote. That's all she wrote. So, <laughs> But just the ending of the game, they're calling timeouts. They're deciding, you know what? We're not going to lay 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. We're going to blitz them, and they're going to have to beat us. <laughs> this is a second preseason game in 2023 for both teams. You're just like, you could tell the Ravens wanted to win, but the, but the commanders wanted to win as well. <laughs> and, yes, I almost said the R word again. Commanders wanted to win as well. And it was just it was just kind of funny watching it because you just don't see that type of intensity. You don't see guys on the sideline actually into the game and caring if they win or lose. But Washington ends up winning the game 29-28, 49-yard field goal, 10 seconds left. And that was it. But pretty exciting because preseason football is about as bad as you can get. It's still amazing to me, as great as the NFL is, and as much as it dominates television and dominates all the sports right now, it's the number one watched sport every season. You know this. 75 of the most watched 100 shows in any given year are NFL football games. The crazy thing is they still charge fans full price for preseason games, which is just a flat-out joke. They shouldn't do it, but they're going to continue to do it because they can. And if you were in the D.C. area, you did not get to see the finale of The Bachelorette on Monday night because of this game, although it ended up turning out to be a pretty exciting game at the end. Baltimore, you did get to watch it, but uh, you had to watch on Hulu if you lived in Washington, D.C., because it did not air. They preempted The Bachelorette finale for preseason football, Ravens and Commanders. But, hey, you got a hell of a game. So the Indianapolis Colts came out yesterday and said, they are granting all pro running back Jonathan Taylor uh, permission to seek a trade um, so he can get traded in the offseason because he's unhappy with the Colts. And we all know the teams aren't paying running backs anymore. And the Colts say in return, they are looking for equal value. They want dollar for dollar for this, Who, for a guy who won the rushing title two years ago, was injured last year, but was playing really well until he went out. I think he played half the games last year. They are looking for a first-round pick or a collection of picks that equates to one. Which is funny because the Colts are basically telling Jonathan Taylor, we don't want to pay you. We don't want to pay you what a first-round running back should be paid. But then what they're asking for in return is a first-round package. So it makes no sense. It shows their hypocrisy. But this is running backs nowadays in the NFL. We talked about this for the last month. They're getting screwed. And teams are just not paying running backs. They don't want to. The most you're going to get is a one- or two-year deal at probably 10 or $12 million at the most. So a couple of the websites out there posted, hey, here are some of the running backs that have been traded. I don't even want to say in recent years. We're talking about all pro running backs in their prime seeking a trade and what the return on them was. Most recently, it was Christian McCaffrey. Panthers traded him pretty much in his prime to the 49ers for – a second, third, and fourth round pick in this past year's draft, 
and a fifth-round pick in 2024. So Christian McCaffrey, arguably one of the top three running backs in the league, only warranted a second, third, and fourth, and a fifth. Okay. Before that, the only other running back in his prime who asked for a trade was LaShawn McCoy, and he got traded in March of 2015 to the Bills for linebacker Kiko Alonso. Trent Richardson of the Browns was traded in his prime to the Colts for one first-round pick in September of 2013. The Bengals traded Corey Dillon in his prime to the Patriots in April of 2004 for a second-round pick. Ricky Williams, we remember this one, they traded, uh, the Saints traded Ricky Williams and a fourth-round pick to the Dolphins for an 0-2 first-round pick, a fourth-round pick, and a 2023 uh, a twenty uh, a two thousand three first round pick, and then Marshall Falk uh, got traded from the Colts to the Rams for second and fifth round picks. So if you're the Colts and you're looking at this and you look at what past running backs in their prime went for, you can't expect any way, shape, or form. Maybe, maybe you get a one first round pick in twenty twenty four, but to think you're going to get a whole slew of picks. I mean, McCaffrey got the Panthers got a second, third, fourth, and fifth for McCaffrey. What is the what do the Colts think they're getting for Jonathan Taylor? I don't think you're getting second, third, fourth, and fifth. I don't think that's going to happen again, especially considering other teams already know Jonathan Taylor doesn't want to play for the Colts. So why would they offer the Colts anything good? The Colts are going to end up taking fifty to seventy cents on the dollar back for Jonathan Taylor because Jonathan Taylor has made it known, I don't want to play for the team anymore. And the Colts are saying, all right, we're allowing you to go seek permission for a trade. But the Colts still have to sign off on it. They're the ones that are trading him. So I don't know what he thinks he's going to get out of this or the Colts think they're going to get out of this, but unfortunately they couldn't keep their best running back happy because he is certainly, he's not. And it doesn't look like he's ever going to be like, ah, oh, you know what? In a couple of weeks, he's going to be, you know, there on opening week uh, when the Colts host the uh, uh, who do they got in week one? I'm already blanking, but w- when the Colts have a home game in week one, I really don't think he's. Mm, I don't think he's going to be with the Colts, and I wonder if he's even going to be ready. I mean, the NFL season starts two weeks from Sunday. Jonathan Taylor hasn't appeared in a practice at all in training camp. He doesn't want to play for the team that currently has his rights. So what's going to happen with this guy? I don't know. But it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because I really don't know exactly what what his worth is right now. Number one, because running backs are down and nobody wants running backs. And number two, he is coming off an injury. And considering he hasn't even played in camp, How do we know how healthy he is? Is he going to pass a physical? I would assume so. He can't get traded if he doesn't pass a physical. Nobody's going to trade for him if if he's failing physicals. But what is Jonathan Taylor's worth right now? Two years ago, he was the best back in the league, and heading into last season, he was atop everybody's not that fantasy football matters in terms of how on-the-field play happens, but he was the number one running back in fantasy football heading into last year, and he disappointed a lot of team owners because he couldn't stay healthy. Well, now what do you do with him? Is he going to come back off an injury? As we know, running backs get worse as their careers go on. So coming off an injury, only playing, I think, seven or eight games last year, 
What are you shelling out for this guy? And are the Colts going to accept it? It's going to be another game of chicken. He probably will get traded, but the Colts are certainly not getting equal value for this. No way. And finally, we're going to end with this in the NFL, and that is I've talked about this numerous times. I'm going to talk about it again because I have an additional stat to add to it, and that's what's been happening in the NFC East. We know that there has been no repeat winner in the NFC East for the last 18 years. The last time it happened was 2004 with the Eagles. They actually won it three years in a row, 02, 03, and 04. Since then, there has not been a repeat winner. Last year, the Philadelphia Eagles won the NFC East pretty much going away. Um, They did win 14 games. Cowboys did win 12, but the Eagles had the, um, the NFC East locked up heading into the last week of the season. So the question now becomes, like, is it finally going to change? I'm sure you could have said that before any of the 18 seasons in the past 18 seasons. Like, oh, well, they won it last year. They're just as good. They're going to win it again this year. Well, 18 years in a row, it hasn't happened. So just expect the Eagles not to win it based on history alone. With that said, who is going to win it? Well, I gave you that stat yesterday that for 20 consecutive seasons, a last place team then finished first in their division the next year, at least one for 20 straight seasons in the NFL. The last place team in the NFC East was the Washington Commanders, and they were eight and nine, I believe, last year, or maybe seven, eight and one, uh, seven. Or maybe it's just eight and nine. I just know they were last. And I'm not saying they're going to win it, but what I'm saying is, in the NFC East in particular, in the last eleven seasons in the NFC East. Last place teams won it six times the following year. Just in the last 11 years, the last place finisher in the NFC East won the division the next year. So it is, (laughs) I mean, I guess the easy answer would be the Cowboys because they were 12 and five last year or 12 and five the year before, and they didn't win the division. So you were like, well, they're good last year. The last two years, they've been good in the regular season. And Dak, I don't know if anybody knows this, and Dak is much maligned. He gets a lot of criticism. Uh, he gets a lot of praise sometimes too. But one thing Dak is good at is divisional football because Dak, as a starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, is 27-7 and within his division. He just hasn't been good outside the division. He's basically a 500 quarterback outside the division and 20 games over inside the division. So that does bode well for a Cowboy NFC East title. However... Up until last year, the Cowboys hadn't had double-digit win seasons in back-to-back seasons since the mid-90s. So that's why it was kind of surprising they won 12 games again last year. Are they going to win double digits for three years in a row when they hadn't done it for 23 years before that? 26 years before that, whatever the case was? I don't know. Um, But I would just say if you're a betting person, you probably just stay away from betting the Eagles to win the NFC East. It just has not happened 18 years in a row. Um, But I think, I mean, look, you're telling me right now, I I have no idea who's going to win it, as I say all the time. If we knew we was going to win these games, we'd be millionaires. You could tell me, you could make a case for the Cowboys winning the NFC East this year, and I wouldn't argue. You could also make a case for the Giants winning the NFC East this year, and I wouldn't argue. Hell, they made the playoffs last year. It's not like they were terrible. And then you can make a case for the Washington Commanders winning the NFC East this year. They got a good defense. They brought in Eric Bieniemy, 
who's run the best offense in football for the last five years. And we just just read you that stat. Six times in the last 11 years, the NFC East last place finisher finished first the next year. So I, I don't know who it's going to be, but betting man, I'd go against the Eagles winning it. All right, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also rate and review if you can. Um, on the Reality C podcast feed, my daily roundup is up. Uh, went up an hour ago. And then you can go to my website, realitysteve.com. That will have the final reader emails of the season for another month before um, Golden Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise start. But that's Reality TV. We're talking sports here. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you!